0: What I remember was that that was the walk that I think really sealed Mecca's fate. So, for five years, we really did build very deep foundations so that then, when we were ready, we were like
1: game on. Welcome to Ladyland, a podcast by Lady Brains. Where female founders step into our world. It's a world of changemakers and innovators. We're talking to women paving their own way and extracting the very best lessons. We're your hosts, Caitlin Jard and Anna McKenzie, co-founders of Lady Brains, a digital and IRL club for ambitious women who are building businesses of the future.
2: So strap in, fellow Lady Brain, and ride with us to Ladyland.
1: Jo Horgan is one of Australia's most successful entrepreneurs. She is the founder and driving force behind multi-million dollar beauty behemoth, Mecca. At 27, Jo had an idea to create a new beauty concept in Australia, but she had no retail experience, no distribution experience, and only four years in beauty. Yet, she succeeded in getting some of the world's biggest brands to buy into her vision. 22 years on, Mecca has emerged as the global leader in beauty innovation. This was such a valuable conversation. Amongst all of her insights, Joe's philosophy around rejection is something anyone starting a business can learn from. Full transparency, Anna used to work at Mecca, which is how we wormed our way into the new brands room to speak with Joe about her business journey.
2: So Joe, can you tell us a little bit about the moment when Mecca came to you? How did you come up with the idea?
0: Mm-hmm. Um, I was working at L'Oreal in, first of all, the UK and then in Australia. And I was super fascinated about the impact that beauty had on people's confidence, sense of self. And I was also intrigued as the most positive spin I can put on it. Mm -hmm. Um, Intrigued at how an industry had formed around, I felt, exposing people's insecurities and focusing on those instead of building people up and making makeup which in effect is dress-ups for the face you know <laughs> that's meant to be fun and as a small child you know it's so fun it's so expressive and where is that joy or where was that joy and so i think the idea in two ways. First of all, I was working for L'Oreal in Australia. I was charged with bringing L'Oreal Perfection, which was the makeup line, L'Oreal's makeup line, into Australia. And as a result of that, I'd really looked at the market, the whole market from prestige right through to mass. And I I just saw these tiny green shoots, you know, just emerging starting back in 1992 when I was working at L'Oreal in the UK and my girlfriend was in charge of L'Oreal Perfection, the girlfriend I shared an office with. And we went down to the opening of Mac at Harvey Nichols and it was bonkers. It was like one of those moments that you will just remember forever, just mm-hmm. seared into your psyche of like, I feel like I'm seeing a cultural movement here and now. So that was always in the back of my mind, as that looked joyful. And when I came to Australia and was looking after uh, L'Oreal Perfection, I really did do a global tour. And I saw places like Fred Siegel in Santa Monica and Barney's Apothecary in New York. And I was like, again, there's something really interesting in this. There are these mm. super charged, interesting indie brands. And it feels a bit more fun and it feels like I'm a bit more in control of my experience. So the idea didn't come to me in an aha moment as I was driving to work one day. (laughs) It was more just a cogitation over time of these little kernels that were planted. And I kept on bringing it back to what do I want and what? do my friends want? Okay, there are these extraordinary brands. Are they enough on their own? How would I want to experience them? How do I want to actually have fun and feel good in this world of beauty? So it wasn't the idea of Mecca that emerged. It was, what would I do differently Mm. if I wanted to do beauty in Mm. any way? So I think that's a really key point. It's not, I don't think, well, if you're one of those people that has a light bulb, good on you Mm -hmm. and how exciting. But if not, I think for me it was posing a question and then just methodically stepping out an answer.
2: And so at what point did the idea form enough for you to be like, okay, I'm going to back this and quit my job and give it a go full time?
0: Well, interestingly, I actually quit my job before I'd really formed the idea perfectly because I was, you know, my my parents had basically said to me that observed um, that my personality seemed to be disimproving as my career was taking off. (laughs) And that was a really, you know, that was actually one of those truly shocking moments. It had a real impact on me and caused me to really reflect. And I looked at it and I went, yeah do you know what, they're probably right and there is another way and I have got these other ideas because, you know, Mecca was one of all these sort of things floating around in my head at the time and um, so I actually left um, where I was working and sat down with almost a clean sheet of paper and went, what would I do, how would I do it? And this is where I always talk about, you know, you just put one foot in front of the other. And the first thing I started with was, okay, if I wanted to experience beauty, no preconceptions, no um, hurdles, exactly as I wanted it to be, what would that look like? And I thought about these brands that weren't available. And I was like, okay, so it did start with these brands. And then it started with, okay, what sort of environment do I want it to be? And I'd been to the Hempel Hotel in London and I was like, oh, this is so divine. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, you know, I just love the way everything is peeled back to the absolute basics mm. so that um, you know, in, the, in that case, you know, an armchair could shine, but in you know, uh, sort of Mecca's case, the product could really mm. shine. And then it was, okay, so that's the brand. That's the environment. What do I want the service experience to be? And I was crystal clear I wanted the customer to be in charge. So you know, I wanted it to be you know, like a pinball machine where you launch through that front door and you just go bing, 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 <laughs> bing, through all of the um, different product offers. And you could just take what you wanted, try what you wanted, which was very different. Mm. Um, you know, it seems funny now, but you know, 22 years ago, you could not touch the product unassisted and you could only touch one brand at a time. So mm. it is very different. And then the last thing was, it was, like, how do I want to communicate with customers? How do I want that to be completely different? And how do I not want to be didactic in my approach of this is beauty, this is what you need to do, this is what this product does in scientific terms? I wanted to make it much more about, okay, what do you want to do? How do you want to experience this? And how do you want to feel mm-hmm. at the end of it? So that's how it started, mm. um, the idea for Mecca from this sort of sheet of paper posing the question, um, you know, what do I want to experience in beauty? And then if I want these brands and if I want this sort of a store and if I want this sort of a service experience and if I want this way to communicate to customers, how do I make that happen? And then I went, okay, what's the hardest? And I was quite um, logical in the way I approached it. And this comes back to this sort of one step at a time Mm -hmm. where I looked at it and went, well, without the brands, this concept does not get off the ground. So I can worry about all of these other things But why don't I worry about the biggest (laughs) hurdle in front of me, which is the brands? And that's how I literally started at a desk in the spare bedroom with a computer, (laughs) because that was in the days before the Internet Mm. going, how do I actually find these brands? So which brands do I want and can you imagine not having Google? To say, how did okay, you do that? Mm. Did you?
2: How did you find out where the international brands were, and how did you get in touch with them? And I mean, did yeah. you go on a world tour mm-hmm. multiple I, times to do that? Yeah, multiple times to oh, do wow. that.
0: Um, but before I did that, and I, and again, I talk about this today, in a way that people probably don't comprehend it. But I spent over ten thousand dollars on phone calls. Which, wow. Wow. a lot of phone calls back then and a lot of money um, because there was no internet. So I literally went overseas, looked at all the brands in all of the different environments. I had a list of 50 or 60 brands, which I cut down to 20 brands, which I went, okay, if I get five of these brands, I feel I have enough to start. I then literally went to counters and said to people, Hi, can you please give me the number of your head office? Or I would go to product and on the back of the product, there would be an address, not a website, an address. So then you literally go to the yellow pages, the white pages. You connect with buyers. I I went to Cosmoprof. I, I literally used any and every Angle that I could, and that was just to get the details. And so I wrote my letter, sent my letter, often by fax if I could get the fax number, and then I rang and I rang and I rang and I rang and I rang. And, yeah, do you know what? There are serendipitous moments Mm. when three or four times someone would pick up and I was able to start a conversation to at least get my foot through the door. Then there were brands like NARS where I actually made it a daily sport to see how many times I could be ignored. <laughs> you know, literally, I have sort of, I think I hold the record in being ignored more than anybody else. And so I would ring and I would stay up all night, every night, because, you know, America is yeah. on a different yeah. time frame, And I would ring on the hour, every hour. And I'd hi, this is Joe calling from Makeup Medica. I'd love to have a chat about, you know, Australia. And I'd do the same thing an hour later. Hi, so sorry to bother you again. Would love to have a chat. And two you know, two examples of that. So Nas, when I finally got to meet them, uh, again, I met this, you know the CEO and the head of um, sales. And they told me later, they went, oh, my God. The only reason we even saw you was we just felt so sorry for you. (laughs) Do you know, you were so polite. (laughs) Well, no, no, that was sorry for me. Stila said to me, do you know what, you just, our entire answering machine was just you. So we just had to stop that happening. So that just gives you two examples. And then I'll give you one other example, philosophy at the time. um, I had a serendipitous moment with them and I did get to speak to them. Mm. Tick, tick, tick. And then Oprah went on to her show and said, this open a jar is my favourite product and you've all got one under your seat. Mm. And basically their answering machine was filled with six weeks' worth of messages. So uh, they didn't get to my message. And so they went literally down a rabbit hole and I couldn't get in contact with them for about three months. So
1: moments like that when people are not answering your call or returning your calls... Does self-doubt ever creep in and how do you overcome those moments of self-doubt?
0: To, to that point, I think I just said it to you, In uh, I make everything into a sport. And so I go, I am going to find a way and it may kill me or you in the process, <laughs> but I'm hoping that one of us will break prior and I'm hoping it'll be you. And that's the way I approach everything. It's a game. It's a sport. And I truly think I am the best at being rejected. I think I deserve the gold medal in rejection.
1: You do get that.
0: And I'm okay with that. (laughs) Yeah, And I never take it personally. Mm. It's always this. It's almost like the sport of a chessboard. And so if I'm being rejected, it's a move that my opponent in that instance is making Hmm. and I'm like, okay, I'm going to make all the moves necessary so that opponent ends up actually sitting on my side of the chessboard (laughs) and we can make magic together. That's my goal. It's my chessboard. I'm doing it differently.
2: It does does open an interesting pose an interesting question around grit versus quit. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, a lot of the successful people that we've interviewed have this sense of grit and, you know, unrelenting pursuit Mm -hmm. of the vision. Mm -hmm. But how do you know when, if ever, to quit? Mm
0: -hmm. Okay, I think that's also a really, really good question because there is no point in absolutely banging your head against a brick wall to the point where you do knock yourself out. Mm. So I think it's an iterative process. And again, I try and look at it and go, that is my end goal. There are times when I'm going to have to climb this obstacle, but are there ways in which I can go round this obstacle? Mm. And what does that mean? I'll try and give you some practical examples. Mm -hmm. So when... Um, I started Mecca, I gave myself a list of 20 brands from which I could choose. And then there was the top 10. And then I was okay if I had five. So it meant that there was flexibility in how I got there. In terms of stores, I'm not just going to choose one location. It's like, okay, this is the sort of area that mm. I want to, yeah. Yeah. to go in. So it's, it's being flexible. Yeah and giving yourself enough choice to work around.
1: So in those early days when you have the vision, but you Mm -hmm. don't necessarily have the products and you're trying to get your stakeholders on board, you're trying to get those brands on board, how do you get them to buy into your vision that you see so clearly, but others might not just yet?
0: Again, and this is back in, I keep on saying it, you know, 1996 when I was traipsing the pavements of New York and London and France trying to convince these brands to come on board. So I started out with, you know, at a creative level, what was I trying to achieve? And then I backed that up with a business plan. Mm. And then I sat there and went, what do the brands need to know to come on board? And I'm going to be turning up 27 years old. I've got four years experience in beauty. I know nothing about retail I know nothing about distribution. And the only thing I know how to do is brand management. So how do I go to these brands and convince them to give me the rights to Australia and New Zealand for these precious brands? And and how do I get them to buy into the vision? So I actually went to an architect and said, I don't have a store but I'm really clear on what I would like it to be. And I want it to be like the Hempel Hotel in London with the product. And I want each product to have you a know, table roughly this big and I want them to have this much space so I can actually put their products so customers can access it. And I want this you know many chairs for makeup artistry and I want it to be really open and lovely. So this is basically what I want. So then the architect drew up a couple of drawings of what this store was with the name. And it's incredible. People are visual, Mm. you know, and it's almost like they looked at it and clicked and went, yes, I see this. And almost forgetting that it it didn't exist. (laughs) But it was also, I made it into a really significant booklet so it was a 20 page booklet, which again, oh. back in the day, and I, I made maybe a hundred of them. And I think it cost me, I don't know, 2000 or $4,000 to print these and staple them. And I took these with me on my, you know, world tour <laughs> and presented them to each brand. And it covered off many of the questions or the challenges that they'd posed on the phone, you know, Australia, you know, why we're only in the US, you know, we're going into the UK, we're not even in Asia, we're not in Europe, we've got no people, we don't have the resources, we don't know uh, the laws, we don't know how to ship, no, 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 no. no." (laughs) And so from listening Mm. to the challenges... I basically went, how do I solve each one of these? How could I answer each of these? And then I put that into the booklet, not by saying, okay, you know, you don't have the resources, but I would go, so the Mecca model is, we look after everything. The Mecca model is. (laughs) (laughs) that we do all the shipping. The Mecca model is. And so they may not have even remembered Hmm. that they brought these up as issues, but I knew that I wanted to leave those meetings yeah. with them having seen the vision, me having wiped every issue off the board. Mm. And so I was dealing with one or two new issues that they could come up with at the time. And that felt manageable. manageable.
1: Yeah.
0: And then literally, I just stalked them. I think I went over four times in six months.
1: like you didn't Um, get arrested.
0: Yeah, yeah, literally, you know, uh, sort of. And I really embedded myself into those businesses. And I remember, what, three years in, NARS was actually going through its acquisition. And I remember sitting in their offices for two days because I said, I am not leaving. I am not leaving until this new agreement is done. And so I literally got a room, cancelled mm-hmm. all my other meetings and did the agreement myself, would take it out to Jenny and Kate, we'd negotiate, I'd go back into the room, go back out, in, out, in, out, shake it all about, no. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, and so it took me two days to get this signed, but I left with that piece of paper mm-hmm. and that's another thing mm-hmm. that it taught me. It's like, talk's great, but bring it to a close. Mm, and there's mm, the mm. best way to do that is to be present.
2: Mm, great advice. Be there. Be there and never leave. And, yeah. <laughs> and stay. But be
0: polite enough of course, and yeah. turn up with chocolates and turn mm. up with croissant every morning and know what sort of coffee people like yeah. and make people laugh and make yeah. it so that you're actually a positive presence mm. if you're going to be, you know, Squatting in their
1: offices. (laughs) Yeah, bring some, add some value. (laughs) Exactly,
2: bring some treats.
1: So we want to pivot slightly. I think we want to talk about, um, you know, how you've scaled the business. Mm. So obviously, well, over the last five years, especially, you know, Mm -hmm. Mecca's seen incredible growth. Mm -hmm. Um, What what's fueled that growth? I think that
0: the first ten years, we really built this business up brick by brick.
1: Mm.
0: We fought for our survival we fought to convince everybody to get on the Mecca bus, whether that was brands, whether it was landlords, whether it was partners in any way, shape or form. And so I look at it and go, okay, the first five years was just survival mode. And then the next five years was, okay, can we now build this? Um, you know, what are, What is the opportunity and what are the legs? Then from... 10 to 15 really was, yeah, do you know what? This is a business that can scale, mm. but we are not ready to do this. So we now need to build deep foundations on all the boring things that honestly do not interest me at all. Warehousing, mm. IT systems, inventory management, <laughs> all of these things that you know I had not spent nearly enough time on. And, you know, I was super lucky. My husband, Pete, worked at BCG. He was a partner at BCG here in Melbourne. And uh, we went for a walk for my birthday and we talked about the huge opportunities ahead at, at Mecca. And we talked about, well, we actually talked about family. And, you know, I had one daughter and... I was like, whoa, really? <laughs> second child, oh, um, you know, all you know, all the opportunities at Mecca, you know, it, it's a lot. Yeah. And I remember that walk, because he always organises a walk and a picnic for each Aww, birthday, which beautiful. is very beautiful, because I love that. I love that. Yeah. But that's not what I remember so fondly from that birthday. What I remember was that that was the walk that I think really... Sealed Mecca's fate um, for the next five years, where he did come on board Mm -hmm. and was able to bring a lot of the thinking behind okay, how do we build the foundations, allowing me not to have to step completely into that world, but to continue to say, how do we build and evolve the business? So for five years, we really did build very deep foundations so that then, when we were ready, we were like, game. On, on. <laughs> and, you know, and it was at that moment that we went, we can hit this button and we know there's the appetite, we know customers want it. And again, I was so clear in the vision mm-hmm. of what Mecca could be. And, you know, we'd had lots of proof points by then. And we're not an organisation that's built on a enormous amount of insight, you know, consumer insight. But I like to think that we're a business that's built on commercial acumen, genuine interest in the customer and the customer psyche, and a good gut on where to take that and how to drive it. So I think there was the sense that we have the concept, we have the systems, and we have an innate confidence of where we want to take this. We know where True North is. Now let's get our running gear on and go. And so that's really, I think, uh, what allowed us over the last five years to really scale the business up.
2: And so in the last, you know, five or so years, the beauty environment has been changing pretty dramatically. Um, You know, we've seen direct-to-consumer brands like Glossier kind Mm -hmm. of take over. We've seen brands like Kylie Jenner Mm -hmm. um, build incredibly quickly. Mm How do you um, remain relevant in that sort of environment and agile enough to be able to respond to that?
0: I love to think that Mecca's whole philosophy, uh, because I truly think we are completely customer focused and as a result, I think we've always had to be really agile because the customer's always moved quickly and you have to stay in front of what... You know, your customer wants, and so you're always thinking and projecting forward. So very early on in the direct consumer, I'm going to call it a revolution because it has been a revolution. Mm. It's been the most extraordinary um, movement, mm. moment. But <laughs> it's not going anywhere. So, no. <laughs> so um, I think we looked at it very early and we went, okay, this is really exciting. It brings brands alive. Customers are engaging directly. At the same time, we know from Mecca that customers love coming in stores. They love the interaction with the Mecca hosts. They love the sense of the treat and experience of all of that. So again, back to this idea of there are many ways to skin a cat, Mm. There are so many ways to solve a problem. Um, you know, we have a saying, you know, from bullets to cannonballs, which is, you know, in the World Wars, when you wanted to shoot down a ship, you would shoot your gun first to see was the bullet going in the right direction, and then you would shoot your massive cannon to make sure you
2: sort of <laughs> you know
0: hit the ship. So we have this saying it's like okay do it it's another way of saying test and learn. Mm. So we took a local brand Frank Body which had really exploded onto the scene and we sat there with them and said, you know, you're doing an incredible job. We believe that we can actually be really additive to that and we will really take your hand and explain And come on the retail journey with you so that you can then understand retail and you can understand, is this something that you want to embrace more globally? And it was a huge success. I think it worked incredibly well for them. It worked incredibly well for us because that's what the customer wanted. That's the only reason it ever works is if if that's what the customer wants and we proved that it was. So with direct to consumer brands, and again, the reason I've gone into so much detail on this is just to give you a sense of how we approach things at Mecca. We've looked at it and gone, right, we are now going to get into the direct to consumer space. And we now have five or six direct to consumer brands that we've taken the frank body case study too. And we mm-hmm. said, look, this is how we do it. And in each instance, it's been super successful. And we are usually the first retailer globally that these direct consumer brands mm. go with. And you know, some of them are now going with Ulta in the um, States who haven't gone with us. But we're then a very natural choice for these brands to go with internationally because so often, historically, we were the first international Mm. Account that any of these brands had you know mm. drunk elephant's a good example, you know which has been this huge skincare phenomenon we were there literally we were their second account, so I think we've proven ourselves and that's something I think that's incredibly important is you know do what you say you're going to do yes. <laughs> on an ongoing basis, build a really strong reputation, mm. and if you do that mm. then. I think it puts you in a really good position to be able to be ahead of what customers Mm. want because you can go with a reputation and say, Mm. please, can I have?
2: Mm. I think that's one of the pieces of advice you gave me before I left Mecca was do business with integrity. And I think it's very clear that you've been able to do that over the last 20 years. And that's why, you know, Mecca has such a brilliant reputation in the market with brands. And that would, I imagine, help with the recruitment of New brands, because you have, you know, there's good talk, you know, amongst in the industry. In the industry, well, Anna, you are
0: <laughs> in the new brands, we, we room. Are. Uh, and it's you very can exciting. see that you know the shelves are absolutely laden with product. Now, 22 years ago, I used to joke that I'd get holes in my trousers from being on my knees begging these brands for <laughs> so long. And that has changed. Now we are in a position because we have built a really strong reputation and because people feel really safe coming to Mecca and they do feel that their brands will be looked after, nurtured, built, grown and treated with integrity, that we are now in the position where we're having to really, really curate Mm. so very Mm. carefully the offer we have because we can't possibly accommodate all the brands that now want Mm. to come with us, which is a really lovely position to be in. And you're right, it's this virtuous circle Mm. of do what you say you're going to do. And it's interesting, Mecca not only has often been the second account for a brand globally, so the first international market, but often, and to this day, we are still the second biggest market in the world for them and that's even though australia is the 12th biggest market globally Mm. so brands come to mecca feeling really comfortable that their brands will be well looked after but they'll also do you know the sales Mm. i'm I'm sounding like i'm doing a bit of an ad for mecca (laughs)
1: that's not the
0: point but it's more that point of yeah yeah if you do what you say you'll do yeah Honestly, it's a virtuous circle. Things get so much easier. I'm just going to say one point because I think this is really important. My dad said to me super early on, pay everybody on time. Mm. And Mecca pays everybody on time. And as a result of that, we get such preferential treatment Mm. on so many areas and it creates such a warm glow that you wouldn't otherwise imagine it would.
1: It's interesting. Great Mm. advice. Really great advice. Mm.
2: So, as you said, it's been a twenty-plus year journey, and we imagine that you, as a leader, and your skill set has evolved over that time. How is it different being the CEO of a multi-million-dollar business versus the CEO of a small business? How have you evolved over that over that time? Probably haven't evolved
0: enough. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you know what? Being the CEO. of of your bedroom table, your spare bedroom table, and everything that comes from that, you know, is actually incredibly empowering and invigorating and exciting because you're doing everything. Mm. And so you know that the buck stops with you totally and entirely. And to be honest with you, I loved that. I thrived on doing it all even coming up with an Excel spreadsheet formula to enter every single barcode of the 800 products that we originally had into the Excel spreadsheet (laughs) Um, for the $5,000 point of sale system we had. Do you know that we went and negotiated for? Everything you are doing.
2: Yeah.
0: And for someone who likes to be in control, (laughs)
2: it's (laughs) very
0: comforting. And if you fast forward, I recognize now that my role is very different. My role is to help craft the vision, ensure that we have aces in their places through the organization with the culture that supports the vision of the business. And then my role is equal parts cheerleader, question asker, and tough backstop decision maker, mm. which is incredibly different. I am no longer in, I am no longer doing, I am no longer feeling in control. As uh, you know, the CEO or the co-CEO, because Pete and I mm. are CEOs together, as the co-CEO of a business that's now the size of Mecca, mm. you relinquish control. And so you need to know, that you have the most extraordinary people who you trust. And you have to well, I pour all of my effort and energy into trying to build the right team with a can-do culture and give people enough rope to fly and to give people enough leeway that if they do hang themselves from that enough rope that they've been given, that's okay. Fail fast. Mm fail often, there's a new one um, that I, um, apparently this is a Silicon Valley um, is saying. Yeah, <laughs> it's a fail fast, fail frequently, fail forward. Fail forward mm-hmm. yeah And yeah, so, you know, uh, that is how my role has changed. Mm-hmm. And I'm probably still too much in the detail, honestly, because
1: I love it.
0: Um, mm-hmm. And I also think I recognise I'm not good at a lot of things. And so having people who are so much better than me on board and being really comfortable with that is also really important. And now what gives me great joy is actually different. I feel like a stage mother mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and, you know, I just clap from behind the curtains. I'm like, oh, it's amazing,
2: it's amazing, <laughs>
0: when I see people doing incredible things and I just try and take people with talent. Mm. I mean, I think you're a great example of that, mm. Anna, that you were... You know, doing a role, it's like okay, great. Let's grab you, and then let's go around the world and look at concepts and dream up concepts, and off you go, Anna. You'll be great. You know, make it happen, and and I think that's what we try and do.
2: Yeah, and I definitely, in my experience as well, I know that there have been time. Well, there were times where. You you definitely knew the answer to the problem I was trying to solve, but you never told me. But you allowed me to figure it out by myself. And often I got the answer wrong. And I imagine that must have, must be hard for someone who can see the vision and can see the answer <laughs> to see people fail to allow and not people the space to, to fail. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: But I think. Telling somebody something mm. doesn't get you your ultimate outcome. Yeah. Because the only way to learn is to do and to experience. Mm. That is the only way to learn. Yeah. And so I think having the patience to say, this is a great person. They're going through this process. And I don't need to say anything when they don't work it out because they're already there. Yeah. You know, absolutely beating themselves up. They don't need anybody else. They need me to actually encourage yeah, them and pick true. them back yeah. up and dust them off and go, go on, you've got this. Yeah, you know? And so that's how my role has changed. Yeah.
1: Love yeah. It. So Anna mentioned that there is a meeting room at Mecca called Fake It Till You Make It.
0: Yep. 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 Yep.
1: <laughs> I'm interested as the CEO of such a big business, do you still fake it?
0: often <laughs> absolutely often and you, and what does that mean for me and this is more of a personal directive you choose how you feel how you present yourself how you interact and it is a conscious choice before you come in to support center in the morning you may have had a harrowing phone call with a brand where they're not going to come into Australia for the next five years, even though you've basically got to the finish line, mm. you know, and it's just, oh. mm. well, you know, you've had, absolutely had your heart set on a location and you realise that you're not going to get it. And you can come in (laughs) solo energy. Mm. You can sort of infect everyone around Mm. you, or you can just go, I choose to be happy. I choose to be a high energy. I choose to be the energy that can be spread through the organization. And I like to think that I never come in anything other than totally upbeat. And by choosing that by about 10 o'clock in the morning, <laughs> I am that. <laughs> yes. And so, you know, you do actually, where you throw your mood, you follow. Mm. So on those days when you're, you're forever catching your cardigan on the door, stop and ripping it. Yes. Whereas, you know, when you're having a fabulous date, that doesn't happen or you don't notice it. Mm-hmm. And I want that vibe through the entire Business, So that is faking it till you make it for me. It's more of a personal manifesto than anything else.
2: It's really interesting. Yeah. It's a completely different no, take on the no. concept of fake it till you make it and pretend that you know what's going on. <laughs> oh,
0: but do you know what? Again, the fake it till you make it where you pretend you know what's going on and you know, I loved it when the... Um, Summer Friday's founders came out and they were talking about their version of that where, you know, they'd be talking to manufacturers who'd be talking in acronyms and they're going, yep, yep, yep. And they'd be literally Googling there what that acronym meant and learning on the job. And I look at that and I go, everybody does that. You have to, you do not know until you learn Mm -hmm. and that is so okay. And as long as you are curious, You will learn. And so have the confidence that you'll get there. So I look at that sort of thing and I'm like, yeah, that that doesn't even qualify for me. Hello, I went around to see every single brand with a booklet. I didn't even know about retail. I was faking it completely. I remember going to see one brand, you know, super tough brand founder. And they were talking about things like units per transaction and average hourly productivity. I literally had no idea what they were talking about. And I said, do you know what? I would love a lesson from you because you're clearly a genius about something. I know nothing. (laughs) So let's get cracking. (laughs) And, you know, I think being able to declare that you don't know, but that you're open to learning. If I don't know something and I'll ask. always ask.
2: Mm. Obviously, Mecca is in a period of growth, extreme yes. growth. Yes. And there's a lot of different, different growth opportunities that you can pursue. You can open more stores, you can enter more markets, you can recruit more brands, go into new categories. How do you decide which are the right growth opportunities to go after?
0: That's a very good question. And <laughs> <laughs> since you've seen the process internally. <laughs> so, the first thing I'd say, is that like most you know, entrepreneurial founders i'm really interested in the shiny the bright and the new i love the challenge of doing different things so i have had to learn to be incredibly disciplined over time in not going after too many things not diversifying mm. too broadly or too quickly and steve jobs i mean i just love steve jobs's books so his book i just Love his quotes. And, you know, one of them, one of the stories about him is that, you know, when he went back into Apple, they had, I don't know how many computers, and he literally just slashed the portfolio down to a handful. Every year he would take his top 100 execs, not necessarily the most senior, but his top team of idea generators, and they would go away and they would brainstorm and they would you go from, I don't know whether it was a hundred ideas and then they would get down to 10 ideas and ultimately they would um, agree on three ideas. So the challenge wasn't coming up with the ideas. Mm. The challenge was editing out the ideas. Now, if anyone from Apple is <laughs> listening to them, there's, there's probably much more to this story, but this is my <laughs> okay. version of the story yeah. that is, leads me to sort of, you know, to try and be as disciplined and sort of say, okay, the art is not in the idea the art is in the editing down mm-hmm. to the most compelling. And then how do we drive that most effectively through every customer touch point to make it completely compelling? Mm. And to that point, there are sometimes counterintuitive ways in which you can grow. And again, you've been part of this one, Anna, I passionately believe that service is Mm. a true growth platform of the future and that Mecca is perfectly primed to lead in that space. Hence, you launched the Beauty Lab, which is the one-to-many customer learning experience, which we've now got, I think, in 22 stores. (laughs) But you uh, were involved in the very first one, Agony difficult, lots of <laughs> resistance. It doesn't work to begin with. Yeah. Yet, if you truly believe that that's a really significant mm. growth opportunity, mm. you keep on circling back going, okay, what else do I need to do to make this work? What other resources mm. do I need to put to it? How do we need to tweak it? How do we need to change it? Is, and then you reevaluate and go, is this the right way forward? And but t- two years later, Beauty Lab is the single biggest customer services Platform at Mecca. So Mm. I really believe that was one of the right Mm. platforms Mm. because I believe that we can now take that through whatever other growth opportunities Mm. we go after. That growth opportunity will be an intrinsic part of it. Mm. So I think it's a case of come up with lots of ideas, edit them down, which one's the most compelling from a customer perspective. And that is, I would say, another way in which Mecca has been built and that is it's never P&L first.
2: Mm.
0: Never. And again, you know that it's customer experience first and that will then help inform. And then what I would say is like every other company, we have, you know, strategy, mm. um, uh, process and, you know, three year strategy. There's mm. a one year strategy. There's quarterly check-ins. So, we i don't want to sort of make it seem like oh you know it's really great fun and all we do is come up with ideas and then implement them and goody goody you know there's a really rigorous approach mm. but it's being you know, focus on the customer edit the ideas down work out which ones are the most compelling and then implement them vigorously mm. with intent and with determination do you know what? I feel like I'm pontificating here because there are so many things that also don't go well at Mecca and there are so many learnings. Yeah. There's so many other things that happen.
1: So, you know, you have to take what I say with a grain of salt, really. <laughs> well, what are some of the biggest challenges and hurdles or surprises that you've encountered that maybe, yeah, didn't go so well?
0: Oh, there have been so many. You know, I really felt that customers early on wanted um, manicures and pedicures. <laughs> and that was at a time before uh, that sort of US model of having your nails done every week had really hit Australia. And there weren't sort of the nail bars on every street corner. And so we provided Mecha manicure, pedicure for maybe I think was it four years? And I personally loved having my nails done in this really beautiful environment yeah. where I knew everything was perfectly clean and we autoclaved everything before anybody did it, that sort of thing. Yeah, and we were really, really super um, focused on making a fantastic experience. But ultimately, we couldn't compete with the emerging um, trends in this market. Mm. So we cut and run on that. Uh, you know, a much more painful example for me was... Kit. So we had Mm. our second concept was Kit. And I loved Kit. Honestly, Mm. I just loved that concept so much. And I look at it and I go, well, really, it was just before its time because it looked like a really super cool Brooklyn eatery before Mm. Brooklyn was a place. Mm. (laughs) And it was much more of a unisex approach to beauty. I think that in the here and now, it would really, really resonate. Mm-hmm. But again, at the time, what I learned from the kit experience is I needed to be there all day, every day, just tweaking the direction it was going in, just gentle tweaks, gentle tweaks, because it is an iterative process. I'm a big believer in logical incrementalism, mm-hmm. sort of, you know, make go in one direction and make sure one step by one step by one step you're going in the right direction. And, you know, it became... that Kit wasn't getting the love that it needed. Back to this, you know, Steve Jobs, choose three things and really focus on Mm -hmm. them. And that if we were to flip those stores into Mecca stores, that they would be instantly more successful. You know, more customers would come in, more customers would love that experience. It was more obvious, we'd laid the groundwork with Mecca already. And so we did flip them into Mecca. And they did work enormously well. And so, you know, those are a couple of tangible experiences that didn't work. And then, you know, there are many other times when I've recruited people that I genuinely thought were going to be fantastic, or I recruited people because I was desperate, which, by the way, never do that one. Yeah. <laughs>
2: The desperate, <laughs> desperate hire never goes yeah, go well,
1: does it?
0: Never, nah. never. Nah.
1: Yeah.
0: So, you know, I, I've had every single um, mistake and failure that you can have in a business. I've mm. chosen to focus on the two tangible ones that mm. people would truly understand. But behind that, there have been so many. Others that I could literally sit here all day mm. with a cup of tea now and a glass of wine at five o'clock, oh. maybe maybe seven o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> no, <five> o'clock. <laughs> and, and go through them. But, uh, you know, what I try and do is I try and learn mm. from yeah. my mistakes.
1: So we'd love to know, you know, at Lady Brains, we believe that you can't do this alone, that you need to s- mm-hmm. surround yourself with um, people that are going to help, mm-hmm. you know, help with your own personal uh, success and business success. Can you share with us um, one person that has played a really pivotal role um, in your success?
0: Oh, I really struggle with one because I think it does take a village.
1: Mm-hmm. I'd
0: have to say family because my parents were both entrepreneurs and they have backed me every step of the way from showing me the way by being entrepreneurs, by encouraging me through life before my career even started, just showing me what a big world it is Mm. and being unbelievably supportive and believing in me from the get-go. when I started Mecca, you know, again, my father, who'd had his own business, I look back and go, I made every mistake in front of him, and he never came down on me, mm. and he never said, I told you so. And my mother, you know, had incredibly insightful advice that she would give so gently. It was just like laying a flower in front of me, <laughs> <That> <laughs> sort of, you know, hitting me over uh, yeah. the head with a sledgehammer. And, They've also been incredibly instrumental in me being able to run the business and have a family. Mm -hmm. So they've switched hats so many times because, you know, running a business and having a family is hard. And so they have been as involved in raising my children as I have, you know, Mm. and we go on family holidays together and they'll do school pickups and they have been incredibly involved and really have put their life on hold to help support my journey, which has been incredible. And then the second part of family is, I'd have to say, Pete, my husband, who, you know, has been incredibly supportive of Mecca from the outset. You know, when we went to the bank manager for a loan at the beginning, we did not have any collateral. And the only collateral we had was his future earnings at BCG. And he agreed to... Mm -hmm be the guarantor against his future earnings, which meant if it hadn't worked, he would have been working for the bank
2: Mm -hmm. basically. Mm
0: -hmm. And then joining the business nine years in and, uh, you know, going from the 51st floor of BCG, 101 Collins Street, fancy address with, you know, their ergonomic chairs (laughs) to literally building his own desk at Mecca on the first day. And Having, you know, and he's just brought so much. But then I would say I'm going to have to go beyond one because I have to say suppliers. Mm. You know, I've had the same accountant from the beginning. Amazing. I've had our store designers have been with the business for probably 18 years. Our uh, uh, freight forwarder. I mean, just we have mm. had so many people who've been with the business. For such a long time, and who have been so instrumental. And then I'd also say, you know, I have a view on mentors, and that is don't necessarily just go out and try and get mentors Mm because, you know, really good people are usually really busy. Mm. So it's a case of being really focused on what questions do I need answered? Answered. Can I find someone to help me? Can I then tell them how I executed that? Can I then maybe ask them a couple more questions in a super disciplined way? And over time, you build a relationship where they are actually genuinely interested in the outcomes. And so I feel like I've built an extraordinary roster of informal mentors over the years who, again, have... Like Hansel and Gretel sort of put this, cream, yeah, yes. all the all way ahead of me, which has been unbelievable.
2: Couple of things. The old grit versus quit debate. It's a recurring theme amongst many of our guests. We really loved Joe's advice to pursue your ultimate ambition with grit while remaining flexible on low-level goals. And it's actually backed up by the research. We also loved the discussion on how to correctly weigh up your business opportunities and go after the right ones. If this is something that you're also grappling with, or if you want to learn more about how to cultivate grit and the research behind it, come across to ladybrains.com.au to continue the conversation and find out more
1: info about the podcast and events. Ladyland is hosted by Anna McKenzie and Caitlin Judd. The producer is Brooke Carrigan. Audio production by Matt Nikolic.